we're in the third chapter of Jonah this evening. Uh, we finish looking now at Jonah's prayer in chapter two, as he was in the belly of the whale. And in the third chapter, uh, just the first couple of verses and the last verse of the previous chapter. Let me just read those. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now if the climax of the book, and indeed of Jonah's prayer, is what we looked at last time. Salvation is of the Lord. Uh, Jonah uh, getting it. Uh, this uh, prophet that had gone away from God, we call that backsliding, had now uh, been brought back uh, in the darkness of the whale's belly. Uh, he cries out, salvation is of the Lord. If that's the high watermark uh, of the book, then the watershed uh, that divides the book of Jonah into two parts is verse 1 of chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Jonah is given a second chance. Uh, and uh, if uh, you uh, imagine uh, the prophet uh, having been vomited, um, I don't know what it's like to be vomited uh, from uh, a whale, <laughs> but uh, we can imagine Jonah finding himself on the beach. He has had a profound uh, experience. It certainly hasn't been pleasant. Uh, he is bleached probably because of the acid in the stomach of the whale. Uh, he's smelling. Uh, after being in the belly of the whale, uh, he hasn't got anything, uh, and yet he is a new man. And just as when uh, you are sick uh, and vomit, uh, even though it's a horrible experience, you do feel so much better afterwards. And I'm sure spiritually, uh, even though Jonah was probably quite a sight to behold, uh, standing uh, on the beach, and it would have taken a long time to get over this, uh, even just readjusting uh, to uh, the daylights. Uh, he now was beginning a new chapter in his life. He would have been felt cleansed. Uh, he would have been glad just to be alive, I'm sure. Maybe he thought his work as a prophet was over because he had failed his God but he was just happy to be a believer and to be once again uh, in that right place. And what does God do? The word of the Lord came the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And this is why the book divides into two parts. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, God's command comes to Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he fails. He goes in the opposite direction, 
to Tarshish and then catches the ship that takes him uh, into the Mediterranean. Chapters three and four, the second part of the book, begin with the same command. Go to Nineveh. What does Jonah do now? He obeys and he goes in the right direction. So it's a very easy book uh, to structure. And I just want to uh, look uh, this evening at two things, two things uh, here in these verses. Uh, like last time, it's grace that is shining here. Uh, that's what came out in the climactic statement in Jonah's prayer, salvation is of the Lord. And when we have here uh, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time and Jonah actually doing the right thing, it is grace. Now, two things. You may be able to guess what the second point is from the first point. My first point is the grace of God. The grace of God. What do we mean by that? Grace, as I said last time, isn't getting what you deserve. That's justice. It isn't uh, just not getting what we deserve, which is mercy. It's over and above that. It's undeserving favor. That's where the emphasis is. Favor. And uh, what makes the grace of God stand out here is this. God giving a second chance to his erring prophets. Yes, Jonah has been restored. Uh, the whole experience of being thrown out of the ship and nearly drowning and then being swallowed by the whale, that was God's school, the school of the belly of the whale in Spurgeon's terms, in order to bring the backslider back to God. Spiritually, Jonah had died in the whale's belly and now he was alive again. Uh, and uh, God is in all of this, the grace of God. If God hadn't given a second chance to Jonah, uh, then there wouldn't have been grace, would there, here? Uh, Palmer Robertson, I haven't mentioned him yet. He's got a commentary on Jonah, and he puts it uh, very movingly, I think. God forgets and never holds the thing against you. Think of how wonderful are the implications of that one fact for your life. God simply does not hold grudges against people who humble themselves and ask his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The God of Jonah, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Heath Church, the God that you and I believe in by grace is the God of the second chances. The God who forgives and forgets. And you can see this throughout the Bible. It's not just in the book of Jonah. I haven't got time tonight to uh, go through all the examples. But uh, if you bear with me, let me just mention uh, a few. You have Abraham, right in the book of Genesis, the father of the faith, uh, a great man of God. But he was a man and the best of men are men at best, J.C. Ryle said. And Abraham failed God, not just once, not just twice, but several occasions it happened. Uh, twice, 
They fled to Egypt. Abraham and Sarah, his wife and Abraham, asked her to lie uh, because he was afraid. In another instance, uh, Abraham and Sarah tried to engineer a seed. God had promised uh, Isaac as a miraculous seed, but they had enough waiting on God. And so they engineered a situation and he slept with Hagar uh, and gave birth to Ishmael. You would have thought that God would have said, I've had enough of you, Abraham. Uh, you don't act in faith. You, you are just uh, letting me down again and again. But what do we read? After all of that had happened, maybe we would have uh, acted uh, like giving up on him, but not God. The God of Abraham is the God of the second chance. Genesis 17, 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. I don't think that was the second time. It was more than twice that God appeared and, as it were, gave him another opportunity. And then another classic example in the book of Genesis is Jacob. Oh, how devious Jacob was. I'm sure you and I would have chosen Esau uh, as the one uh, to carry on uh, the lineage as it were of the seed of promise but no god chose jacob jacob which means supplanter he, he was so devious he cheated esau of his inheritance and his brother was so angry with him he had to run away to his uncle laban and he spent many years there and even though he was converted i'm sure jacob was saved at bethel even though he was a new man he still uh, had that tendency to deceive and he managed to do that with his uncle Laban although he got a taste of his own medicine as well as Laban uh, deceived him and then he had to run away from Laban and he was fearful of coming back uh, to uh, his homeland because Esau was still after him and yet what do we have? We have Penuel, God meeting with his erring child and God giving him a second chance. Again, let me read uh, from Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. Uh, I think the picture here is wonderful. Uh, having met with God and having been wounded so that from now on is limping. That's what Jacob is doing now. Uh, we have this description. Uh, verse 30 uh, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Here he is, a new beginning. He's wounded, but oh, that wound was from God. And a bit like Jonah, he's going now into the sunrise, a new man, a much weaker man, but stronger in God. Can you see? the God of the second chance. Uh, Elijah, Elijah, after the victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah had a reaction and under a juniper tree when Jezebel threatens to slay him, Elijah wants to give up, he thinks it's over, he wants to kill himself, that's how far down he'd gone. But God sent him to Mount Horeb and there God met with him in the still small voice. And he said to Elijah, get up, I'm sending you, I've got work for you to do. And that's the kind of God we have. And of course, if you come to the New Testament, uh, the 
most well-known example is Simon Peter, Simon, making that boast in the upper room when Jesus says he's going to be betrayed, that he would never leave his saviour, that he would follow him even unto death. And Jesus prophesying his denying of him and Peter, poor Peter, uh, doing just that uh, in the courts of the high priest, three times denying that he ever knew Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus looking at him when the cock crows and Peter weeping bitter tears. I'm sure Peter thought then it's all over. There's no more opportunities for me as a disciple. But the risen Jesus meeting Simon Peter and dealing with him like he dealt with Jonah and then on the day of Pentecost filling him with the Holy Spirit so that it's Peter who's preaching the first sermon of the church and 3,000 are saved. And I'm sure that Peter is a different man, a new Peter, a godlier Peter, a weaker Peter, no longer self-confident. Now he is strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. My friends, the God of Jonah, the God of the Bible, your God and mine is the God of the second chance. Doesn't that comfort you? Where grace superabounds, sin abounds. There's so much sin, isn't there? Even in the churches today, we feel like giving up. But don't, because our God is the God who doesn't give up on us. And there's something else. There's the bigger picture here. Uh, not just in his individual dealings with his people is he the God of the second chance. But think of God's plan of redemption. That's what the Bible is all about. The seed uh, that was promised to Abraham is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to come. Uh, think of the Garden of Eden and Paradise and our first parents, Adam and Eve. God first coming to them and telling them that they are on probation, as it were. They can enjoy everything in that garden apart from the fruit of one tree. And if they taste that fruit, then they are disobeying him. And what did they do? They listened to the devil and they took the forbidden fruit and the world fell, sin entered the world, and it looked as if it was all over. Death came in. Death. And yet, this is the God of grace, the God of the second chance. God came a second time to Adam. And it wasn't Adam that was looking for God. It was God taking the initiative. That's grace, my friends. And the proto-evangel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first utterance of the gospel, I will put enmity between thee, the devil, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The second chance, the first Adam failed, but God is promising a second Adam, who is not the second, he's the last Adam, because he is going to succeed. Uh, if one person in the history of the church can write about the God of the second chance, it's surely John Newton, who was a slave trader before he became a Christian. That, even then, uh, was uh, uh, the lowest of the low uh, in terms of uh, job. And John Newton wrote these lines 
Uh, I've never come across them before, but it really emphasizes in God's salvation uh, and in his dealings with us in redemption, how the second chance is important. Listen to this. This is personal experience. In evil alone I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree, the cross, in agonies and blood, who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. He sees Jesus on the cross and he feels ashamed. The look of Christ. Sure, never to my latest breath can I forget that look. It seems to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. This is a man undergoing conviction of sin. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Have you felt like that? It's my sins that nailed him to that cross. Alas, I knew not what I did, and now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. It's all over for me. I deserve hell, and I can see no hope. But then, this is the point. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I died. Thou mayest live. That's what happened when we were born again. We lived by grace. And how many times has God, even though, like Jonah, we've backslid, come back to us and raised us up again because he's the God, not just of the second chance, not even the third or the fourth or the fifth, but 70 times seven, seven, a perfect number in the Bible. It means how often does God forgive? As many times, as many times as you fall. God comes and restores. Praise God that he's the God of all grace, the God of the second chance, the God of the nth chance. That's uh, what you do in maths. <laughs> uh, if you've got a number uh, that you can't calculate, you say to the nth degree, that's how much God's grace goes. Praise God. We've got a God Full of grace. Full. So the grace of God. And then, can you guess my second point? Not just the grace of God, but the grace of Jonah. The grace of Jonah. Uh, what did our previous pastor uh, say? Not just the doctrines of grace, but the grace of the doctrines. Because Jonah had experienced a gracious God, Jonah himself had become more gracious. As we sang in our first hymn, when grace has well refined my heart. You know, grace doesn't change our personalities. It's the cults that do that. It's unnatural. It's wrong. The work of the Spirit in regeneration refines our personalities, makes us more like Christ, but it's still 
Very important. Now, Jonah, when he cried, salvation is of the Lord, grace, he's now changed by that grace. Uh, what a contrast. Uh, look at Jonah when he was backslidden. He wasn't aware of it, not at first, but in chapter one, when the word first came to Jonah, he, he, he was a well-established prophet. He must have felt confidence, you know, in himself. Here he was, the man that had been used to declare God's judgments in the past against Assyria. Uh, he had money. He had enough money to pay for a ship to take him from Tarshish to Western Spain. So he would have been fairly well off. Uh, he uh, is completely different now. <laughs> He's no longer confident. He, he's died. He hasn't got anything, no more money. And yet, my friends, Jonah is in a better place spiritually, standing on that beach, no material wealth, but he's got spiritual wealth. I wonder, where are we spiritually? Where, where, where are we? Where are we? Are we in Jonah chapter 1 or in Jonah chapter 3? In Jonah 1, Jonah was so prejudiced as a Jew against the Ninevites. He could not, could not see how God was sending him there to preach the gospel. There was a holier-than-thou attitude in him. But now... How much has he been transformed? Now, if you take up your Bibles, there are some details here which are very important. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, when God recommissions Jonah, when he gives him a second chance, it's similar, the message, but there's a slight difference. Verse 2 of chapter 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. In chapter 1, he was to cry against it. In chapter 3, he was to preach to it. Do you notice the difference there? Jonah now is a living sermon of what he had experienced. Salvation is of the Lord. Do you want to know what God's grace is like? Just look at Jonah. Just look at the experience he's had. Look at how this nationalistic Jew, with all his prejudices, has been transformed into a man that is gracious Yes, he's going to preach God's judgments uh, to Nineveh, but in a different attitude, in a different spirit. Don't we need that? Uh, this is how one commentator puts it. Let me read what I've got here. He was in the land again now <laughs> and communing with his God again. Once he had been strong, but then 
he would not go for God. Now he was so weak, but willing to obey. Like Jacob, he's limping. He's limping. Are you limping? Has God wounded you so that you're just completely dependent on him? In other words, what we're saying here is Jonah now is a witness. He's going to Nineveh, uh, not just to uh, preach against it. Uh, you sometimes, don't you, see uh, preachers maybe in the open air, and it's as if they're preaching against the poor people. <laughs> And it's not like that in the Bible. It wasn't like that in times of revival during open air preaching. George Whitfield was moved. There'd be tears streaming down his cheeks with a concern for the people. And I'm sure that Jonah was more like that now. And he's a witness to his message. He's not detached from his message. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement, and I sort of hinted at it this morning. He said, as Christians, not just as preachers, as Christians, we're not advocates for Jesus Christ, but witnesses. What's an advocate? An advocate is a person uh, in court, say, who defends a person. And it's an intellectual exercise. They'll give reasons. Now, of course, we've got to give a reason for the hope that is in us but we're not an advocate in the sense that it's just an intellectual exercise we are witnesses now what's a witness a witness is a person who's seen something firsthand a witness is a person who's experienced something and there's a difference isn't there between a preacher or between a christian uh, who is simply uh, mouthing uh, arguments for the existence of god and a Christian who is speaking as a witness. Uh, to give a personal example, uh, forgive me for this, I could never be a witness for rugby, right? I got no interest whatsoever in rugby. There's nothing wrong with rugby, uh, but I must be one of the few Welshmen that hasn't got any interest in the national game. Even if you sent me to college to learn how to be a witness for rugby, I, I just could never be a witness. It just would not ring true. You see, if we've experienced something, if it's gone deep, we cannot help then but speak the things which we have seen and heard. However weak, however faltering our speech may be, we are real. We uh, witnesses. This comes out uh, in the Bible. Uh, we go through something in order that we are living sermons, as it were, of that thing. Uh, I know I'm giving you so many verses tonight, uh, but turn to Psalm 51. God giving a second chance to David, uh, who had fallen into grievous sin, and towards the end, of that psalm. I don't know if you ever noticed uh, what David says in verse 12 and 13 of Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, that little word, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. 
the word then. It's a link word. If I prove the joy of your salvation and it's restored to me, then it will flow out of me, as it were, and I will be a living witness, a teacher. And of course, you've got the Apostle Paul. Hi, I'm sure that God chose him to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. If Jonah was a prejudiced uh, uh, Jewish believer, how much more was Saul of Tarsus? But the God of grace laid hold of him. And I think he used Paul as a living sermon. Paul says so himself in 1 Timothy 1, Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern. He's a model. Uh, to those who are going to believe on him. And it's not just those examples. You and I, my friends, are living witnesses. People should look at us and see God's grace in us. Their only explanation of how we are is the grace of God. If God has been gracious to us, are we gracious? Are we? Are our hearts off? I sometimes find there can be too, too much uh, the critical spirits in evangelicalism. It should not be. It should not be. Uh, we've got Simon Peter, haven't we, in the Gospels. Simon Peter, the smoke, spokesperson uh, for the disciples, asking uh, Jesus Christ the question, uh, if my brother sins against me, uh, you know the passage, I'm sure, Matthew 18, uh, if my brother sins, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. To the nth degree, Peter. That's how God has forgiven you. If God has forgiven you to the nth degree, if you've experienced the grace of God, then you forgive those who do things against you. And hadn't Peter been a witness to that, as we see Peter growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Do we hold grudges? God doesn't. Do we remember hurts? God doesn't. Do we want to be more gracious? Maybe we should pray, oh God. Make me like Jesus Christ. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou would do. And one last thing in the grace of Jonah. It turned him into a living sermon. He's preaching salvation to the Lord. There's judgment there, but there's grace. We'll see that in the coming Sundays. But he's not just preaching it as a message. He's living it. Do people see, not just in the messages from our church, but do they see in us the grace of God? Do we forgive 
and forget and forbear because that's what our Saviour does with us. I do not think much, and I'm simply reiterating the words of the Saviour here, I don't think much of anyone's Christianity if there's no forgiveness there. Forgive us our debts, we prayed, as we forgive our debtors. And then lastly, the grace of Jonah makes him obey. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. How simple. Don't we make it complicated, obedience? In the end, it's just that. So Jonah arose and went. If the Bible tells you to do something, you just do it. Because this is God's word. And here we have God's will. What moved Jonah to obey? was his experience of the grace of God. Uh, don't we have it in Romans, uh, this grand exposition of the gospel, and then the obedience, and in between uh, the doctrine and the practical part of Romans, you have these words, a connecting word again, therefore, Romans 12, 1, because of the mercies of God, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Uh, Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, spoke of two motivators uh, that caused him to obey. Uh, the terror of the Lord, not the fear of man, which brings a snare, but the clean, uh, childlike fear of God. The terror of the Lord on the one hand, and the love of Christ constraining on the other. And it's like being in a vice. Uh, we are just uh, moved to uh, obey. This compulsion, the new man, the new nature. That's what was happening to Jonah here. And as a preacher, and I know exactly how he feels here, he had to go to Nineveh and not preach his own message. Oh, how tempting it is for us preachers uh, to give the kind of messages we want to give. Oh, no. God says, arise, go to Nineveh and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, no preacher today is a prophet in the sense that Jonah was. But, and this is a huge but, every preacher worth his salt, called of God, is sensitive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives messages from the word of God. Often people pray in our prayer meeting that the Lord would bless me as the pastor of our church during the week and lead me to the messages that God would have me bring to us as a congregation. Oh, I thank you for those prayers. And as we'll be coming to the end of Jonah, I implore you to pray that the Lord will guide me as to where next we should go in the word of God. It's not what I want. It's not even uh, what, where the elders want us to go. Uh, it's where God would have us go. Very important. Uh, one of the best books on Jonah, I find, even though there are lots of tangents, is Artie Kendall's sermons on Jonah. He preached them when he started in Westminster Chapel, and they're very powerful. And he's writing as a preacher, and I, I think this, this is a very searching statement. For you were prayers. Uh, let me read what he said. We are not given a choice of what to preach. 
I do not have a choice what I'm going to preach from week to week. Sometimes I tremble when I think what God has told me to say. But I have to say it. I have to say it. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And then Jonah, even though it was a tough task he had, and maybe God is asking you to do something hard. Maybe you are facing obedience to God's word and it's not going to be easy. Listen, my friend. The Christian life was never meant to be a bed of roses. You can be in a better place spiritually, even if it's a hard road. Uh, Helen Rosevia, uh, she went as a missionary to the Congo, and she thought a missionary would just be doing spiritual work. <laughs> and she learned a painful lesson. One day, uh, she was asked to help in the lime kilns in the village, and she was not happy. How can God have sent me here just to do menial tasks like working in the lime kilns, building, uh, I don't know if it was building a lime kiln, building uh, bricks and things, but God dealt with her and brought her to the place where she died, like Jonah in a sense, in the belly of the whale, died to her own uh, ideas, her own desires, and she was happy to serve God even in the lime kiln. Are you happy to serve God doing whatever he would have you do? I sometimes think it would be excellent training for students going into the ministry uh, to uh, just do sometimes menial tasks because it teaches humility. Uh, well, what's the hymn? Trust and obey, uh, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Where are we spiritually? Are we bitter? Are we uh, just full of our own uh, self? Or has God had dealings with us, like his prophet Jonah? And we may not be in an easy place, like Jonah on the beach, but we're in a good place spiritually. And, oh, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his goodwill he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey it's so simple but we forget for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey as i wind down and i'm promising you that i want to read the testimony of a missionary i can't remember where he went as a missionary it's one of the most challenging commentaries I've ever read. Bull, I don't know what his first name is, on Jonah. Bull on Jonah. And he's writing of his experience. And there is an echo here of what Jonah went through with God of the second chance. Listen to this. If it helps anybody listening, I will be so glad. I have known perhaps in some degree what it is to stand on the beach like Jonah. The shadow of the man I was, disgorged by a monster on the sands of time. God, who spoke to the fish, spoke also for me. The three long years in the communists more were like those three long days and nights. But then the moment came. They could not hold me anymore. 
Surely I had cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he had heard me out of the belly of hell. I could sing, salvation is of the Lord. He must have been in a communist uh, country being persecuted. After my release, I came to Hong Kong. Soon the excitement died away, and I began to realize, like many before me, I would never be the same again. Something had happened. The marks of a great ordeal were upon me. What could I do? And then in August 1954, nine months later, I sat in a little room at the Park School Yeovil. I was there for a young people's missionary conference, but I felt so weak. I could hardly speak. One day in the quietness I read of Paul's defense before the Hebrew people, he told of his conversion in the way and how the holy Ananias helped him. And the God of our fathers, he said, hath chosen thee that thou shouldst know his will and see that just one and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. The words were wonderful, but hardly moved me. Then suddenly I read, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Did you notice the word? Witness of what thou hast seen and heard. And why tarriest thou? Why are you standing still? This sentence to me was not only the word of God, it was a word from God. Not only something he said to Paul long, long ago, but something he was saying to me. In my youth, he had told me so clearly to preach him to the nations, but I had hardly begun, though I went to the ends of the earth. Now was the second time, the second chance. In spite of everything, there was no cancellation of his call. Like a stirring in the sand and grasses, I too had heard his whisper in my heart. It is from such a place he bids us rise and go to Nineveh. It is in brokenness his fullness comes. When strength is gone and nothing can be done, he shows once again our task. He makes the utterly impossible our business. Then faith begins and mountains move. All else is vanity. My friends, that is the path Jonah was taking. He needed a miracle in order to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel and see people say. And God did just that. And as we face a future, I don't know how things will pan out uh, with uh, the virus, but the future's in God's hands, and we can go forward looking to him. But have you been dealt with? Have I been dealt with? Let us remember, we're in the hands of the God of all grace, the God of the nth chance. And if he's having dealings with you, maybe you're listening tonight, don't give up. When it's his time, he will cause you to come out of the darkness, as Jonah did, and to stand blinking on the beach, a changed person, a changed Christian even, and then he will come a second time and lift you up, and you will speak of his grace more from experience than ever before and people will look at you and they will say this is the grace of god there's no other explanation may the god of jonah 
our God, bless us for his name's sake. Amen. Now we're going to uh, sing together our last uh, hymn, and it's Love Divine, uh, All Loves Excelling, uh, Love Divine.
Father in heaven, we thank thee for bearing with us and uh, for being the God of the second chance. And we thank thee that thou wilt finish the work that thou hast begun. And we are being changed from glory to glory. And now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.